This is Linux Unplugged, episode 12 for October 29th, 2013. Linux Unplugged, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show that believes sometimes the esoteric aspects of your operating system can be the most important aspects of your operating system. My name is Chris. My name is Matt. Hey there, Matt. Episode 12, buddy, and we're chugging right along into pretty technical territory this week. Oh, it's pretty deep stuff. Let's just put it that way. I'll be be curious to see if we can pull this episode off because, uh, first of all, it's hard to be experts in either one of uh, these topics we're talking about today because they're moving fast and they are very esoteric they're very low level stuff and a lot of people either don't know what they are don't know why they should matter or feel like it'll never impact them but i hope after this week's episode we change that line of thought that'd be great kind of a big goal but we'll see so this week this week debian's been asked to make a choice to check to pick between two different startup systems one created by Canonical that's used in Ubuntu, Red Hat Enterprise, Linux 6, Chrome OS called Upstart. Obviously, Ubuntu is a major derivative of Debian, so it's a pretty important decision for those guys. And then Systemd, created primarily by Red Hat, Intel, and, and others, that is shipping in Arch, and it's going to be shipping in Red Hat Enterprise, Linux 7, SUSE. A lot of different distros are picking up Systemd, and they all do different things. Systemd does a lot of things, and that's one of the actual criticisms against it. But people are really now watching Debian to see which way they're going to go, because whichever way Debian goes, probably the rest of the market's going to go in whole. Because if Debian goes with systemd, then it's almost de facto standardized across all of Linux, except with the exception of the large uh, distribution that some of you might have heard of called Ubuntu. <laughs> However, I if think it'll be interesting. Yeah, because if they go with Upstart, then there there's two very large distributions that many other distributions are based off that will not be using systemd. And it will sort of introduce sort of this long-term differentiator between the two sides. So it's kind of all eyes are on Debian at the moment. And this is a topic that has been being debated within Debian. You know, I remember reading a post on, on LWN.net which after my comments in last week's episode, I went over and purchased a year subscription to LWN.net, which is once you get in behind the paywall, it is a totally different experience. So they should tease some of that out a little more because it is actually really great. Uh, Anyways, I read an article at LWN back on July 27th of 2011 saying that Debian was debating if they would switch to systemd. So this has been going on for a really oh, long wow. time, but it's it's getting serious this week, Matt. It's getting serious. You said 2007? Oh, I'm sorry, 2011. 11? It was okay. July 27th, 2011. Okay. I was going to say, my goodness. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> it feels like that. It feels right? like that, honestly. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because I actually – I remember covering um, Upstart. Upstart landed in Edgy. Uh, what was that, like Ubuntu 6.10, I think? And, uh, of course, they weren't fully converted over from System 5 in its scripts until, uh, I think, like, uh, um, version 9-something of Ubuntu. But I remember, like, talking for a very, very long time saying, man, Ubuntu's main feature is just it boots faster, it boots faster. Well, that during that period of time was when they were transitioning to Upstart. And right. uh, meanwhile, Debian's just been hanging back, been like, ah, you know what, we'll let the kids figure it out. And <laughs> we, roll, we roll Debian stable here. We roll Debian stable, so we let the kids figure it out, and then we package it all up once they've got it all sorted out. Now, of course, uh, Systemd and Upstart have both been available in in Debian testing for a while. So we're going to talk about that. But before we talk about this week, I wanted to get into our follow-up, because we like to continue the threads from previous week's episodes, and we want to do that right up here at the top of the show. And we talked last week about sort of the the sad state of Linux news and how it was so personality driven, so p- cult of personality driven. And, and, and you talked a lot about it from a writer standpoint. I did because I, you got to understand that a lot of times what I put out there is assigned. And then I have the option of saying, I would like to eat this week <laughs> or I would not like to eat this week. And I basically, and, and usually it's a pretty straightforward decision for me that I enjoy food. And it's actually not as, right. not as <laughs> evil as, cause that kind of makes it sound evil, but, but it really what it is, it's like, 
Well, if my editor, uh, or I don't know who's telling you, but right, if, if, if the editor, whoever it is that gives you your assignment, aren't they basing that on what they perceive to be interest yeah, from their it's audience? it's not the editor's fault. It, it all rolls downhill from way above. And basically it comes down to eyeballs, eyeballs, eyeballs. That's really what it is. So it's, he's no more at fault than I am, but he does – he is the one that basically is the gatekeeper there as to what and I'm the one that should know better. One, it should know better, but again, he's in a he's in a fairly stable position, and he's not necessarily in a position that he wants to rock that boat because he is managing things that aren't Linux well, related as well. It's funny though, so, but yeah, so he's not an expert. But it's no. funny because like in this episode, eh, you know, if we, this is probably not the topic you pick to get a bunch of people to listen to your podcast, System D <laughs> right. and Upstart, right? I mean, people. Right, right, right. So you could see like how an editor would never want you to write an article about that because that's not a guaranteed win, right? But something about you know top ten lists for something or whatever top seven. Seventy-seven list, like I saw today, a top seventy-seven. Okay, uh, those drive clicks. Uh, exactly, and it, that's just one it, example. It's one example, I th- and also the fact that a lot of the sites, because as you're well aware of tux machines being sold off and all this, it, uh, the landscape's changing. A lot of people are finding, oh wow, this is so not a money making thing. Um, it's really not. Yeah. So you know, for, at least from the writing perspective, so I think that folks are beginning to uh, try for more of an SEO grab. Sometimes they're trying for a title grab. Um, and neither are necessarily working super awesome. Uh, even right. I found even on my own site, you it's, know, it's been affected. Uh, and sometimes it's this it's this horse race that you run mm-hmm. you run into with where yeah. you know people try different things to to grab headlines and those quit working sure. and they have to switch to something else. And this is sort of the point that uh, Matt, not you, but a different Matt who wrote sure. into the show was making. He said, you know, dear Chris and Matt, by the way, I'm a JB Lurker, regular listener to Unplugged, and a regular viewer of Last. I also enjoy TechSnap and Faux Show from time to time. Nice. But he points out. He just finished listening to Linux Unplugged 11 where we talked about this, and he thinks that you know this whole driven by personalities, talking about scandal instead of honest news, this is really just sort of a slice of what's going on on a much larger scale, say on Fox News and MSNBC and everything in between. Profit-driven news outlets are only interested in viewership. Yeah, that's factual, yeah. And uh, he said, anyways, just my two cents, uh, thanks for the great shows and uh, for reporting Linux news that is important, if not always sexy. That's what we're going to try to do today. That is true. And I think I would counter that too in saying he's absolutely correct. A profit-driven news center definitely has to take that into account. But I also think that even if you go nonprofit, you do have to have some kind of funding source because you have fixed expenses. Oh, yeah. Even if everybody was, you know, volunteering, which you know isn't always plausible. So, you know, all those things come together. There's a lot of things under the hood that people have to really stop and think about. So uh Andreas wrote in Oh, by the way, um hmm. uh I think we probably got maybe 30, 35 emails just on that news topic alone. We got so much email on that. Linux Unplugged this week generated more email feedback than last did um, when we did the Synology review. And uh, now, now, now Cinnamon is last has reclaimed the crown with the Cinnamon topic. But uh, for, for one week, Linux Unplugged pulled ahead for episode 11 with the amount of feedback volume that we got. Goodness. So Andreas wrote in. He says, I need to give feedback on the question you asked in Linux Unplugged. Which distro will take the lead in a few years? Uh, when SteamOS is out and, and Ubuntu continued to fail on the desktop. I don't think we said that, but okay, we'll, we'll roll with it. Uh, mm-hmm. This is, I'm pretty sure it will be SteamOS. Almost every Linux gamer might have at least a dual boot partition with SteamOS. Okay, there will be ones who refuse to use it because of the Steam DRM stuff, but there might be a lot of Steam boxes sold and self-built out at this time point. If I got the question wrong, please ignore this feedback, but I think this might be it. I think Andreas, you know, maybe, you know what? At least as far as desktop deployment, it's going to be hard to beat Ubuntu and Red Hat on the server deployments in SUSE Enterprise Linux and even Debian. You know, and in terms I dis- of numbers, but on the desktop, I kind of maybe? disagree. I don't yeah. know. I mean, so for me, it's like I think it depends on the location and actual the task. Usually, most people use a computer to actually accomplish a set of tasks. Uh, if it's SteamOS, you're trying to accomplish getting some games going. Okay. If you're using Ubuntu, you're probably trying to get real work done. You're trying to actually do something from a desktop experience. Yeah. I don't see Steam SteamOS being really popular at your local nonprofit or at a school that's actually trying <laughs> to get real work done. I mean, the kids would love you for it, but I don't that's see that happening. Point, I see Ubuntu that's having a much bigger impact. There. All right, fair point, fair point. So I was just looking um total yeah. consoles sold. Total total Xbox 360 consoles sold to date yeah. is uh, looks like uh, 59 million. I don't know if is that right? Uh, total and the original Xbox 24 million. Uh there's 31 million Xbox subscribers. So so almost 60 million Xbox 360s sold to to date, okay? Okay. Um and then uh, you know 24 million original Xboxes. That is an S ton of Xboxes. Don't get me wrong. But to put that into some perspective, 
there's been 170 something a million iPads sold, right? And there's oh. been um and and which which works out to be I can't remember the number now because I got it third I got it third hand, but it works out to be something like represents six months worth of desktop PC sales. So you put wow. it in perspective of desktop PC sales, right. it's a it, it is not even it is not even half the year worth of sales. It, it, so it is, yeah. I, I think you know SteamOS could get some good traction on the console, but I I don't know if it's really going to change the tide at this point in any one yeah. direction. I think it's just going to be a strong contender, definitely a high I, number, but I don't think it's going to be number one. I tend to agree with that. I think that you know you're trying to undo time and undo progress that's already taken place, and so yeah. if that does happen, it's going to be a five year plan. Um, if it doesn't happen, they'll, they'll maintain a real comfortable standing, but it may not ever become the big thing. And hey, you know if it did, that'd be that'd be it would be pretty interesting times. Yeah, oh, it'd be awesome. I would. I, I'm totally rooting for them. I want to see them absolutely just mop the floor with everybody. <laughs> but you know, I think that'd be great because what an exciting thing to watch. To, you know, people yeah. are really passionate about it. Yeah. But you know, we have to kind of wait and uh, see how things play out. Now uh, we got, like I said, so much email, and I'm going to be totally upfront with you guys. I didn't get a chance to read it all, so if you didn't get a response from me, it's. Um, I, I watched a lot of videos on System D and Upstart in the last couple of days. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> I actually didn't get to much of my email. I used my email time to do that because I was I just kind of fell down the rabbit hole of these things because it's actually pretty interesting stuff. Right. Uh, so if you uh, if you want, uh, you have my permission to resend. Uh, and also, I encourage you to go to uh, LinuxActionShow.reddit.com and uh, while you're over there, start a thread if you think it's something maybe the broader community could uh, could uh, chime in on. Now, Matt, before we get into our main topic today, I want to thank our sponsor, and that is Ting.com. Matt, yes. Ting is mobile. It makes sense. They're my mobile service provider. They're Matt's mobile service provider. And I'll tell you, Matt and I, we are men who prefer to be free agents. That's right. I I don't like being in a contract, Matt. I don't like early termination fees. What is this? Some kind of scam? Oh, totally. Yeah. I, that, that's, I, I like having control over how I use my phone. Period. Exactly. And you know what's great about Ting is it's, is, is, so not only is there no early termination fee, not only is there no contract. I mean, that's a great start. I'd take that right there. Oh, totally. You also only pay for what you use. So they take, they take your minutes, your megabytes, and your messages. At the end of the month, they'll just add it up whatever bucket you fall into. And they've got some great examples on the Ting website. Um, my bill right now, for example, and it, uh, it, is, it is up in four days. The Ting dashboard tells you they have an amazing dashboard over at Ting. It's, it's got to be uh, – um, it's, like, it's not just like good from like an interface standpoint, but it's also good from like Ting knows the internet. Like – they are one of the first companies that are on board with Mozilla Personas, which is a very, uh, very great uh, authentication system that sort of is an alternative to OpenID and other things like that. Ting was on board right away. Ting knows about this kind of stuff. So they not only do they have a very awesome dashboard, but they actually get web standards. They really get this kind of stuff. And you go right in, they say, yeah, you got this much time left on your account. You've got, you know, you're currently at this and they have nice like gas gauges that tell you exactly where your usage is at. And oh, by the way, this is your billing period. It'll be up in three days. So when I go in there right now, it says my billing period has 41 or four days left. I'm at 21 bucks. I'm at 21 bucks. And Matt, I, I, every time I'm in the car, I usually have an audio stream going and yeah, I usually exactly. have Waze going. Like I don't pretty much go anywhere without Waze going all the time. And even still, now I'm not a big voice user because I'll use Skype and things like that. But that's what's so awesome. As the holidays come up, I'm going to start using my voice plan minutes a lot more now i'm not paying into some sort of plan so it's like okay well i get i get 200 minutes this month and if i use more than 200 minutes i have to pay extra and then of course when i'm not using the phone very much i.e not the holidays i don't pay for that phone usage it's just a flat six dollars a month i love the fact that they have a fluid bucket that will adjust to my month to month needs because they <laughs> exactly. do fluctuate i mean it really does fluctuate for me so i love that Absolutely. So go get started over at linux.ting.com. That'll take $25 off your first device or $25 off your first month if you're going to bring your own device. They've got a bunch of compatible devices. Also, right now, if you actually, I think this is sticking around for a while, go take uh-huh. advantage of this. Go to ting.com slash ETF. They have an early termination relief program. They're going to give you up to $75 off per line that you have to get terminated if you're going to move over to Ting. And trust me, you're going to want to move over to Ting. If you just go to linux.ting.com, they got a savings calculator that'll show you the awesome amounts of money you'll save over the long run. And by the way, that savings will include hotspot and tethering right with the plan. No extra, no extra package you have to get into. And it'll also include real personal phone support. When you call a Ting agent, they answer the phone and they see your problem all the way through to the end. It's like a real Canadian. 
I love that. I love the one-on-one connection you can make with these folks because instead of talking to a machine, you're actually talking to someone that not only gives a rip but can actually solve your problem. They're also, as far as telcos go, the most transparent you're ever going to find. So go over to their blog and just check out some of the posts over there. They've just done an introduction to one of their team members. You get a little bit of behind-the-scenes info about Ting. You know, and as somebody who considers themselves a researcher of things before I buy, I really appreciate that they expose that kind of information to me. Because it helps me make an informed decision. So go over to linux.ting.com. And thanks to Ting for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. Ish. Okay, man. So let's get down and dirty in the plumbing of Linux this week. And uh, I want to talk about systemd and upstart and this whole Debian's choice. So um, I'm going to read you something. And it's so funny because you're going to find the same blurb all over the entire internet. And it's even it's even all over on the Ubuntu wiki on their systemd page. It's on Arch's wiki. It's even on the main systemd page, and it's on the freedesktop.org. It is the explanation of what systemd is. It might not help, but I'm going to give it to you, and then okay. maybe we'll, we'll parse it a little bit. So what is systemd? Systemd is a system and session manager for Linux compatible with System 5 and LSB init scripts. Systemd provides an aggressive parallelization capabilities. It uses sockets and dbus activation for starting of services, offers on-demand starting of daemons, keeps track of processes using Linux C groups, supports snapshotting and restoring of the system states, maintains mount and auto-mount points, and implements an elaborate transactional dependency-based service control logic. It can work as a drop-in replacement for System 5 init. Now, so to, to sort of parse some of this for you, so, uh, uh, so it uses socket and dbus activation for starting of services. What socket and dbus, well, let's focus on the socket part. So, for example, um, if you have uh, a, a very lightly used uh, Apache web server, systemd can actually open up the port 80 socket and listen for incoming connections on 80 and leave Apache as completely closed, so it's not taking any CPU or memory until that very first connection comes in. Systemd will answer that connection on the port that the daemon uses, and then it will go start up Apache and then serve the page for the person that they need. And and the user never notices any kind of interruption. Additionally, it allows you to restart services without breaking the connection, because since system since systemd is managing that socket, you can have the underlying da- daemon restart without interrupting it. So that's what that's what socket-based activation for starting services is. Dbus would be message-based. Event-based driven, um, which is also upstart, uh, is things like um, network state changes or um, uh, hardware state changes or you know user command changes. Those are sort of the more event side of things. And, and systemd is, like I mentioned earlier in the show, primarily being developed by Red Hat, but it has contributors from, from all over and uh, including a large group from Intel. It is... It is almost a, a new layer of the operating system to just give you an abstract. It takes care of a lot of these things like mounting of file systems. Um, a lot logging. of multi-purpose stuff under the hood, it sounds it, yeah, like. Yeah, it, it can replace syslog. They have, a, they have a journal that it replaces, which some people don't like. We'll get into that. Um, so there's a lot to it. And the core question that now Debian is facing is do we go with Upstart or do we go with SystemD? And I want to play a, a clip for you, Matt, uh, because we okay. played this on the pre-show, and I think you and I both agreed it was worth playing, even though it's yeah. pretty meaty in the show. Um, we're going to play this and we'll par- kind of parse it. This is Lernart Pottering, the primary developer behind Systemd. And he was at a, a Debian conference in August and they held two talks at this conference. Uh, the first talk was a Systemd talk and the talk was um, why Debian should or should not switch to Systemd. And I have that linked in the show notes. And the second talk the next day was why Debian needs Upstart. Obviously one was from Lenart, one was from the Canonical Rep. And we have both of those linked. They're about an hour long if you want to watch them. Uh, and, and you know, as we talk about this, keep in mind that uh, this is from Lenard. He says, whether Debian chooses, chooses Systemd or Upstart, it has major implications for the future. So you shouldn't only look at what is now, but keep in mind what will come next. And there are at least two areas where opting, out, opting for Upstart will mean that you shut Debian out of major changes. So in this clip I'm about to play, it's from this 55-minute talk. It's about three minutes long. He gives some he gives some examples of where he feels. Now this is Lenard's opinion, the creator of System D, where he feels that Upstart falls short to System D. Um, of course, if you compare it to the other contender, which is Upstart, we believe that um, I mean the reason we initially created System D actually is because we believe that the Upstart design was wrong. A um, little bit about the history there. Um, we started, like I played around with, with um, a, a little project I called Baby Kit. You know, it was back at the time where everything had to be a kit. Um, 
This baby kit thing was supposed to be like an experiment how we think that it should, should work. And then Upstart came along, and then I put that aside because we actually believed that Upstart would be the, the, the big and great future. Um, however, over, over a year or so, um, and after talk, seeing Scott a couple of times... That, and I actually, I buy Lenart here where they actually bought into Upstart as a solution because they shipped it with Red Hat Enterprise Linux 6, like their premier product, they shipped it. They actually backed it up by putting it to work, sure. The, the plumbers conf, we've eventually figured out that Scott's probably not giving us what we want, and we believe that inherently it had the wrong design. The reason um, what exactly is broken there is um, basically what Upstart does is um, you, have a, you have a language how you can express how events happen and what's supposed to be done that way. What Systemd does instead is um, you express relations between things. Now, um, one is a lot more, more um, flexible and powerful than the other, because in one thing you basically have the administrator figure out what should happen, or the developer, what should happen in which case, you write that down, and then Upstart will just execute it. However, in the system design where you have the dependency tree, basically you just say, these are the dependencies, and then the system will figure out what to do at what place. So what Lenart is considering a feature, some of the critics of Systemd actually say is a disadvantage. And I'll give you my old, my old crotchety sysadmin, everything should be conservative, I don't like <laughs> a lot of changes perspective, because boy do I have it sometimes. Upstart, and you, you picked up on this on the pre-show, uh, yes. Upstart relies a lot more on the uh, sysadmin or the developer giving it a good set of chain of events to follow, rules if you were, right? Right. Whereas system exactly. D, you say, okay, well, I want to start my SQL, and my SQL is going to need network connectivity, and network connectivity is going to need that these lower level things start up. So here's what I want: I want all these things. The end result is I want my SQL, and then supposedly there's some there's some there's some black magic that happens there where system D can actually figure out dependencies in some cases, and it is so. There's advantages to that because. You know, systems nowadays can be a lot of different things at different times. You know, in the case of a laptop, it can be a Wi-Fi device and then that runs on battery. And then 20 minutes later, it can be hardwired into a gigabit connection with a, you know, AC power line. So there's, there are like, and with maybe a second monitor attached, like there's a lot of different things that can happen. So you could see why maybe a more flexible system could be advantageous as, as computing starts to change. But I just wanted to kind of draw attention to the fact here that these are major differences here in, in, in how these two things are structured. Um, this has a couple of effects, like for example, um, in systemd, if you want to have a minimal boot, you want to just start that and that and that, it's a relatively easy thing to do, because you simply look at the dependency graph, figure out what you want, pull in all the dependencies, and run it in the right order. This, of course, is systematically more, different, uh, more difficult with Upstart, because the after rules in the first place have to express what actually happens on the system. Um, this eventually um, becomes even more problematic. Like, for example, something very recent is the rearrangement of C groups. Um, I'm not sure if you guys have followed that. C groups are this thing how you can uh, attach a label um, to a set of processes and then um, optionally set a couple of resource um, uh, uh, values to it. Like, for example, you can say Apache gets as much CPU time as MySQL, regardless how many processes um, Apache starts and how few MySQL will start. Um, C groups, I think, are probably, um, in terms of server deployment, one of the most important things that Debian has to keep in consideration when they're making this choice. Not that they can't take advantage. That's our mumble room. Not that. All right, I'm going to turn that off. Not that uh, they. Not that they can't take advantage of C groups if they're not using Upstart. But so what C groups are is Lenard just said there is they allow you to apply labeling to processes. And the advantage is if System D starts a process, it can label that say Apache. Right. From start to finish, so that the system always knows this group should have these rules applied to it. And uh, if if uh, if Apache has some CGI workers and those spawn thirty sub threads, and you know you you normally in some cases would completely lose track of what's attached to what. But System D, because it's being involved in all of that, will keep it all coherent. Will keep it all labeled. Now this has big ramifications for like. Uh, say I only want my SQL to use X amount of CPU so that way it can't clobber my whole system. Or I want Wayland to be able to do a whole bunch of stuff, but I need to make sure I keep track of all of its processes because if somebody ever compromises Wayland, I want to follow where that goes. So there's a lot of different advantages to C groups. Not Absolutely. that you don't get them. You, you could still have them. You could even make you could even make upstart dash C groups, which would integrate C group capabilities into upstart. But what you what you uh what you lose is systemd is going to sort of provide this API level access to it that you're just going to kind of get it if as a developer if the system uses systemd 
And yeah, so with the resource um, handling with C groups, you suddenly have this problem that um, if you have multiple services which are basically should be um, handled the same way, you need to propagate um, certain things between these services, right? For example, if you have Apache and you have MySQL running in the same um, slice, as we call it, then you need to make sure that either both of them have CPU limits applied or neither of them. So, um, and this gets, gets more complex as there's an, an entire dependency tree where you have to walk up the, the, the tree to the root and do enable and things like that. Now, with systemd, with the design, this is very, very easy because we have the dependency tree, so you can just walk it. And upstart again, this dependency tree doesn't exist, and this, the, the, you, you cannot just do that. I don't know. I, I figure the, the upstart people will eventually figure that out themselves. But yeah, the summary of it all is, um, I can talk about that for a long, long time. I figure if you, if you haven't looked at the details of what upstart system to do there, you, you probably can't really deal with much of what I say in this regard. But inherently, we believe the upstart design was and the system five and its um, design for, before it was inherently flawed at its core. It's not how we should do these things. We should have a dependency tree so that we can figure out all the right things. And yeah, that's the reason why systemd was invented and that why we believe that it technically is the right thing. And none of the current contenders, other contenders can do that. I want to give one more example of why C groups are pretty important and why having uh, systemd provide an API level access to them and, and also just having it be C group aware is really important is there's a project that I have really been talking a lot about, especially on Quota Radio. You and I did an episode about it on the Linux Action Show called right. Docker. And right. Docker it allows for a completely isolated environment on your Linux box, all of VC, you know, sort of like a v, uh, BSD jails. So, for example, uh, in the show, I can't remember exactly. I think what I did is I had my Arch machine installed. And then in, on my Arch machine, I had a self-contained Ubuntu 12.04 environment running inside a Docker instance. That Docker instance is using C groups to label all of the processes in that Docker instance as belonging to that Docker instance. So it, it, they are running completely and totally isolated from the rest of my system because they've all been labeled via C groups. And that allows for example, Linode or a company or, or, or GoDaddy or uh, DigitalOcean, you could have you could have a lot higher density on your Linux boxes. You could have maybe potentially hundreds of more clients on there because if if you get rid of virtualization and you go right back down to the metal and you do process isolation, this allows for you to get completely isolated environments that are individually different operating systems with different package configs and different versions of stuff all in the same box at metal speeds, right? And then when you combine that with something like SystemD where it supports socket activation, you could be you could be DigitalOcean and say, I've got I've got 35 users on this server, but these are my low-end users, and only three of these systems are ever active at once on average. Well, in, in, today's, in today's modern setup on a Linux box, all of those instances would just be running, taking CPU and memory, waiting for a connection. But with Docker and SystemD, they could sit idle until that first visitor comes, and then they immediately spin up, and they serve the page. And exactly. then you can also apply resource limitations within there. So it's, you can see in the server space how it could be massively beneficial. Um, and I would be surprised if Debian didn't sort of weigh that in their decision process. Now, there are some criticisms of SystemD. Um, and one of them would be probably the one I've heard the most. And I can't remember. Where, oh, it was uh, Linux Today. I, I pulled this yeah. one. I love it, too, because whenever somebody – usually the person criticizing SystemD generally mistypes how you spell it. SystemD is all lowercase. It's funny because <laughs> whenever I see somebody criticizing it, they get that wrong. And in this case, the guy got it wrong. He says – SystemD is one program that is a garbage dump of a lot of functionality which used to be provided with shell scripts and special tools. Uh, he says, and it consumes more memory doing nothing more than System 5 init. And he says, by the way, the SystemD journal is in binary format. Boom! Oh. Now that oh. is true. So yes. gone are the days of text files for your logs. And a lot of people hate this. And I can understand. Now, uh, journal CTL supports like a, a really sweet, API and a really sweet like parsing syntax and also supports exporting out to text. So all of your existing shell scripts could just bang on that text if you wanted to. Uh, but it also adds like really nice formatting. Like it, 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 it clearly, it, you know, will enunciate like here was, here was a reboot executed by this user and then it'll do a nice break in the log and see all of the events that happen from there. Um, so, you know, it's, it's like you lose some stuff, but then you also gain some stuff. And maybe if tools are built to take advantage of that API, and it'd be I think that's what's going to be needed. Yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah. The and I would maybe Red Hat and companies like that would would do that as part of their enterprise offerings. I don't know. 
I think so. Uh, but okay, so his argument though that it's kind of a, <laughs> a garbage dump of different functionality, uh, you know, I kind I of, would argue the same as far as going back to the old school way of it. That it was a mess. I mean, other platforms used to make fun of us for it. That's true. You know? That's I mean, true. they did, and I'm not saying that's accurately. They're not accurately making fun of us or not. I'm just saying that was the perception, and so, you know, it, it's really gonna. It, for me personally, I think System D has done a lot, has a lot of benefits, and it's it's compelling. Uh, Upstart, you know, has its way of doing things. All right, but let well. me ask you a question. I, no, I don't I, know. And I and I, I also I make this available to the mumble room as well. If sure. if the Unix philosophy of a lot of small individual tools working in concert has gotten us this far. System D is really taking all of this stuff that people didn't want to do. And let's be fair. Some of the stuff they're replacing was sort of abandoned and hasn't That's been getting fair. worked on. So they're just integrating that functionality in here. But it depends on things like C groups, which are only available on Linux, which means if you write something that depends on System D and System D depends on Linux, then it's not portable to one of the BSDs. So there's a downside, okay? Which is, why, which is probably one of the main downsides for Debian because they want to run on multiple kernels. So there's right. a downside. The second downside is you take a lot of stuff that used to be individually separated out, like you know, uh, individual componentized, and you, you bring it all into one conglomerate that manages everything, almost like making a lower-level OS that sits above the kernel. Okay, so there's another downside to it. Then the third downside I see is this binary file format. That's, yeah, it's a bit of a step back, I think, in some ways. Now, so those are the, you know, those are sort of the negative aspects of System D. Because if you look at Upstart, it's deployed, it's tested. Those are things Debian loves. Okay, that's yeah. good stuff. Uh, it's it's essentially fairly straightforward, you know. Uh, uh, I've 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 had some experience with Upstart. I've had some experience with System D. Either way, it seems like they both work. I I actually kind of prefer the way System D works. Um, I do for myself, but I think that from Debian's perspective, based on the way they like things to work in general, from their side of things, I think, and and of course with other factors as well, I think they're probably reluctantly going to go with Upstart. I think I think it'll happen. So I'm not saying Upstart. So uh, Cheeseburg's asking in the chat room. Upstart is not usable for BSDs. What I'm saying is if you build an application or if a project has dependency, and there are already projects that have dependency on System D, sure. uh, like Login D, like Time Data D, like Locale D, Hostname D, UDEV, and more, all are now projects that depend on System D. They will no longer work or function on a BSD system because System D itself is dependent on the Linux kernel. So there is so that's one downside. However, so Lenart's response to this is, well, I'm not worried about that. I just want to make the best operating system possible. And see, and and systemd does have a bit of a home turf advantage. Uh, number one, it's used as an API by more and more projects, like I just mentioned. It takes advantage of C, uh, C groups, you know, the control groups in the Linux kernel, which is pretty important. And they've maybe to court Debian, I'm not sure, have implemented some Debian designs into systemd, like how the host name gets set and other things like this, that they looked over at Debian and said, you know what, they do that better than the Fedora project does it. We'll do it that way in SystemD. And, and that might be a way to court it. But the, the main advantage that SystemD has, well, it actually comes out in this clip from the, uh, uh, from the Upstart talk at the recent Debian conference. I'd, I'd like to, um, you know, uh, SystemD had their promo talk yesterday. This is Upstart's promo talk. So I, I think there are other things that I want to, uh, to talk about. Um, the most... Significant obstacle, it seems to me, from a Debian point of view, is the contributor agreement. Mm -hmm. I, I notice you didn't mention that at all. Um, is there any possibility of movement on that? Because that's going to be a big problem for Debian. I think I'm speaking for many people here. Wow. Always about the licenses with you, Ian. Um, <laughs> What is it with Debian and licenses? I don't understand. Um, you bloody well ought to. Sorry? You bloody well ought to by now. <laughs> uh, I didn't see you on Debian Legal helping out. Um, That's not the place the decisions get made, <laughs> is it? No. So uh, the, to make sure everybody understands the, the status of Upstart, um, Canonical has a policy of... of requiring a contributor license agreement, which is not the same thing as copyright assignment, but we do require, um, in terms of upstream contributions, um, anything that's going to be contributed upstream to Upstart does have to be um, granted. Uh, a, a contributor license agreement has to be signed, giving uh, Canonical, as the copyright holder of the, of the overall work, the right to, for instance, relicense. Um, you know, it, it provides for certain capabilities of making sure they can uh, deal with any litigation that might come up. Um, and various other aspects. Um, 
it's not something that is, is actually negotiable in terms of whether Upstart as an upstream is going to change that license agreement. Um, this is not actually altogether different from lots of other projects that Debian ships. Um, of course, we can compare and contrast with the FSF's position, um, particularly in that FSF is, of course, a nonprofit um, dedicated to free software, whereas Canonical is a, is a corporation. Uh, and so I, know, I recognize that people are, are not necessarily um, okay with this, um, but I will point out there's lots of other people in the ecosystem doing this. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, but we are running out of time. So uh, I suggest we continue this discussion in the hallway track. The, the FSF's contributor agreement, the copyright license, the FSF legally bindingly promise not to take anything that you sign over to them in that way non-free. Canonical specifically intend to be able to do that. We've heard Mark Shuttleworth tell us that that's the purpose and that this is a thing that um, you know, companies like Canonical should be allowed to do. So I think he, he was speaking in a general philosophical sense that the CLA, that, that companies, that it is something that companies should be allowed to do. Um, well, it's a thing that the canonical contributor agreement allows canonical to do. It does, it and does when well. Mark, who is in charge yes. of canonical, tells us he thinks companies should be allowed to do it, wow. um, when the FSF tell us, not only do they not think it's a good idea, they also promise in a legally binding way not to. So that's a very clear distinction. Okay, so submit your patches for upstart. Don't, give, don't sign the CLA and we'll see what happens. Well, well, let's... <laughs> well, submit them to the Debian maintainer. So we're out of time. Uh, thanks. Please, please, thank, please thank Steve and James for their presentation and we'll continue the discussion later, I'm pretty sure of it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure of it too. So the uh, CLA is probably going to be a pretty big sticking point for Debian. I don't know what can be done there, actually. Um, that's a great point, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. For, um, for reference, the uh, the people who were talking there, the guy in the audience was, um, I think, Ian Jackson. Well, um, wait, wait. For reference, who are you? <laughs> uh, uh, so I'm Popey, Alan Pope. I work for Canonical as an engineering manager, not a developer. Right. Um, and I've seen some of both of those videos, and I think the guy who was asking the question from the audience is Ian Jackson, who's an ex-Canonical employee and is a Debian developer. The guy answering the questions was Steve Langacek, who is one of the upstart maintainers and is a Canonical employee and has been a Debian developer longer than he's been an Ubuntu contributor or Canonical yeah, employee. Popey, do you know, is he on the technical committee of Debian? Because that's been one of the criticisms is that a couple of uh, Canonical employees are sitting on this technical steering committee. And if they vote, I think it's like three of them are Canonical employees. Uh, two, I think. Two? Okay, uh, so two, yeah. Steve, Steve Langacek and Colin Watson, both of which. I think Colin's actually the longest, after Mark Shuttleworth, he's the longest serving employee of Canonical now. Um, and before that, he was a Debian developer, and he still is a Debian developer, contributes heavily to Debian, and as does Steve Langacek. And yes, they're both on the technical committee. They right. both have a vote as to which way this goes. And yes, it would be incredibly surprising if either of them decided to vote for System D. However, that said, um, I, I know if you read the mailing list thread on Debian Devil, which is very long, um, <laughs> uh, Colin, Colin has actually said, you know, if, if I thought that I was going to get any pressure from my employer, I would right. pull myself out Recuse of the Recuse myself, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I, I don't question either of those guys' integrity so at all. Um, so here we sit now, though, uh, kind of at a at a spot where uh, you could see you could you can see st there's 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 multiple sides to the argument. It's not quite a black and white situation, and Debian finds themselves in kind of a sticky spot where they have Red Hat and a lot of the other Linux on one side, but they also have some good arguments for Upstart. For one, I mean, not just because of their their uh, connections to the uh, Ubuntu uh, distribution, but also because. They want to support KFreeBSD and Herd and all these kinds of things, right? Like they want to be, they just want to be packaging all this stuff up and, and, and don't necessarily want to be tied to just the Linux kernel. But my question about that is like, really? I mean, at this point, it's, uh, it seems like, like that, that doesn't, I don't know. Does that really hold water to, to you? No, my, you, my response you, to that, if I could interject for a moment, is why don't they use systemd for the Linux kernel and then stick to what they have for everything else? Yeah. I don't know how hard... That would probably be a huge pain in the ass, though. Yeah. That'd be way too much maintenance yeah. for them. Uh, what were you going to say? What they want to do is completely... Like, it is 
quite a big task to do. To switch? Yes, to switch. I think that, well, me personally, I'd prefer them to do the work to support System D because they don't, no one knows. People are looking at it from an init point of view. Only an init point of view. System D is an abstract scheduler with before and like pre and post dependency management. It is a scheduler in its core, which in it is a simple instance of a scheduling problem, or cron is a scheduling problem. That's what well, System D is. Well, Android still does use in it D, and it just uses bash scripts. Yeah, I understand it needs to be changed, but I don't know stuff. why it needs to be changed. Right, Gentoo has OpenRC. Why. Yeah, it's the mm. same thing. They all do their init however they want. But that's why this system D is so invasive, because it does cover a lot of ground. It can be very powerful. I, I agree. I don't know, but okay, so invasive or appropriate? Because first of all, I think what Lennart and his team have tackled are honestly some plumbing stuff that until Upstart came along, nobody was addressing, and, and system D went beyond what Upstart accomplished. So I think, first of all, they're they're... They're modernized. I feel like it's a modernization of the Linux core, and it, it is. It is kind of. A, I do find it to be a little foreign. It feels a little foreign, but at the same time, it also seems like without some of these features, we lose a certain competitive edge. I think uh, it's fair to say a few things um, have, in modern times, uh, come across as foreign. Like, for example, Pulse Audio, which is also a, a Linux um, right. offering. <laughs> Which, you know, I think, I think we can all pretty much agree is a fantastic thing now. Uh, and at the time, I think Ubuntu was one of the first distros to, to put it in. And, you know, we, we put it in the distro and, uh, put our, put our backing to it. And yeah, we got some flack for that. And, uh, and so did Leonard. <laughs> um, oh, but, yeah. I mean, back in when know, it came out, it was a pain in the butt to user configure. But some of these things are painful decisions, painful switches, and that's why Debian are deliberating about it so hard. When we when we switched Ubuntu to Upstart, I remember you mentioned earlier about um, the the work done to reduce the boot time right. on Ubuntu. Yeah, I remember I remember being on a flight from London to uh, America, and Scott James Remnant was working on reducing boot time, and he was sat there for most of the flight on a Dell Mini Nine. Um, and every so often he'd get up and come back further down the back of the plane and talk to us about how he'd like shaved off a few seconds here or a few milliseconds <laughs> there or something. And, and, you know, this was leading edge stuff at the time. Um, and we made that big switch and that was a painful switch to make, you know, and everyone keeps on at us saying, oh, Ubuntu is the only distro that uses, uh, Upstart, which, you know, is. Chrome is OS patent, also uses it. Chrome OS patently, also uses it. Yeah, I know. That's the point I was just about to make, Ant. Um, thank you. Uh, <laughs> we're not clearly the only distro that uses it because every derivative distro of Ubuntu uses it as well. Yeah. Um, as does, you know, Chrome OS and RHEL 6, um, as Leonard said. And it is, and so, it, it is sort of also similar to, uh, the boot system that OS 10 uses. So it's sort of a cousin of it. So that's also widely deployed. I just, I guess well, it feels clear, like it clearly takes inspiration from right. uh, from OS ten a lot with launch D, yeah. you know, system D and um zero conf of Ahi, yeah. you know. Yeah, but, uh, you know, you yeah, but I mean why not, right? I mean why not? It, it, oh, yeah, of, I'm not complaining. It's yeah. you know, you inspired by good design. Yeah. And so I feel like that is kind of like one of the funny like you can I um uh I guess maybe part of what it comes from is upstart relies on a library that's titled literally titled not invented here. <laughs> So maybe that's <laughs> part of why people get on him for it because, like, it you know that is kind of a funny thing. But, yeah, but what people forget is Upstart actually was the first person, well, the first project to right. derive from like in a day. I mean, like System D came afterwards, right? So they're actually working on the pl- principles of what well, and, Upstart started. And this is the this is the basis. After watching all of this, you know, I look at it and I think maybe System D is the superior answer because it is based on. Um, experiences with uh, with Upstart, which was good, right? So it's like they okay, we went this far, now we want to go further. And I also think there is a big advantage to the Linux community as a whole if we standardize on some of this stuff. Uh, you know, you look so, at oh, go ahead. So it's okay if someone takes an existing project, like for example Upstart, and makes something brand new to make it better. 
but it's not okay if someone takes something existing like, I don't know, Wayland and makes something new like Mia. Right, but... That's oh, not we don't get it. Listen to that. I got a monkey suit riding on this whole thing, so let's go. All right, hold on, hold on. three different distros with three different init systems and still use the applications I want, the display manager, if that causes compatibility issues, where am I going to be left? This is the big thing, right, is especially if Debian buys in on System D, then uh, it is is essentially all Linux will be, well, with the exceptions of Slackware and Gentoo and other things, but all Linux will be using... System D, right? So it's sort of, but 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 in the case of Wayland and Mir, I can't. I think it's apples and oranges there because it's yeah. I mean, I could use school. Ubuntu with Upstart. I could use OpenSUSE with System D. I could use Debian with System Five, and still use all the applications that I need. But if yeah. the yeah. display servers were different and had different callings, and it was, uh, what am I going to be it stuck go, with? It, it, it was a somewhat facetious. It, it was a somewhat facetious uh, yeah. comparison. Well, I was trying. Okay, to, it yeah. got brought up. I'm going to have to mention this, and this is going to be very, very quick. The thing is, is like uh, Linux in general has less than one percent of the desktop market. When companies like AMD, Nvidia, Intel, when they have to make drivers to make their software or these display drivers work with the hardware. It costs money. They're not going to... At the moment, they do it because there's only one display drive and it's XORG and that's it. But when it comes to when it's when, when it's decision be, between Wayland and Mir, they're not going to fund a project to support both display drivers. Dragging display it back on units, topic to, to System D, can, you know, saying that the switch to Mir will cost companies money, do you think the switch to System D will cost nobody any money? Right, that is actually a good point because it... For, for companies that have massive deployments and with custom init scripts and things like that, this is going to be a big transition. I'm actually curious, actually. I mean, does like a, you know, init D or system or upstart or system D, does that have as much effect as like a display driver? Not necessarily yeah. because there are compatibility layers which allow you uh, to run the old init scripts it, uh, in a lot of cases. Perfectly right. backwards compatible with NID, so you can it just can link be, the, yeah. uh, it can the script be, but that's in the server side, and then you would right. Well, so the, the official word is is that uh, is that System D is quote unquote ninety five percent compatible with uh, System Five init scripts. I I I, I doubt that. that's, no, that's about, I mean, and, no, that's about here, true. Really, and, and I'm kind of arguing this from a um, user end perspective, where when it comes to the display server discussion. I'm worried whether my applications are going to work or not. I don't usually have that worry when it no, comes because, to the init script. Well, the package the, main, the packager will take care mm. of that. So the package. So yeah. okay. So I want to zoom out for a second because this is another benefit of System D being widely deployed. Is this this makes a lot this makes it a lot easier for packagers, right? Because the, let's take BitTorrent Sync, right? They just make a BitTorrent Sync. Here's your basic System D startup um, file, and then the Arch user repo guy and the guy that's making the PPA for Ubuntu, or I well. I guess Fedora, the guys making the package for Fedora, they just have to tweak it specific for the details of their specific distro, but otherwise they can just take directly from upstream the init script for system D. So it, it kind of like, it sort of makes that process easier for those guys. Not only that, but from that standpoint, system D is a whole lot better documented than upstart when it comes to that type of thing. Yeah. Oh, yes. Well, okay. I think you guys are shortchanging the benefits of uh, uh, deployment in the field and how many people that end up working with that and then document stuff about it and blog about it and know how to work with it because the advantages to that in IT are huge. I mean, that's why Windows gets such a big de- deployment. So Upstart definitely has the leg up in terms of on on the ground, already out deployed, people working with it and know how to use it. And I can't yeah, uh, all these, So all this D, doesn't it? System D will get that advantage once it's rolled out into newer versions yes, of Red Hat. Most things are transitioning to System D as well. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. Okay, all right. Well, fine, fine, fine. There's also one thing for the um, encoding. Remember, for the, for the binary logging, everything is encoded anyway. You have a character set, which is UTF-8 or yeah. ISO, whatnot, or Little Indian and Big Indian when it comes to the CPU. It's all just the encodings. Even your logs have to be deciphered by their encoding. Encoding. Uh, okay. They ha- they can export it out to yes, normal exactly. ASCII text. Exactly. Can I just say something just, quick? Yeah, go ahead. I just want to say that uh, I've really had no problems with Upstart. I mean, I, I run Ubuntu on my server. Uh, Upstart's been pretty pretty good. I mean, it's it's really easy to just type in the commands, but it's also easy to do that with System D. The, the thing that I think is going to happen is uh, Upstart's kind of going to be left in the dust because... 
System D is more of the, um, I, I believe it came out of the Fedora project. Is, is that correct? We Red Hat, yeah, Fedora, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So usually, like, you know, Pulse Audio came out of there uh, as well, as, as I uh, I think, right? A lot of so, things, Network Manager, Libvert, a lot of things yeah. that come out of there, yeah. So I think that overall this is going to become the standard in the long term. I think Upstart is just what people are using right now, and like I said, I don't have a problem with it. It's just that I, I, I just don't know, you know, once System D evolves and becomes more stable and all this stuff and gets more features and everything like that, down the road, I think that people are going to be switching to System D simply because it's going to be where everyone's going. And all the that, that could switching. well happen. I mean, for us, we, we've got 1204 um, LTS out and we've got however many years left on that because it's got five years of support. Um, and then there's all the servers out there that have Ubuntu on, all the cloud deployments that, that are Ubuntu-based that have Upstart on them. Um, I, I would hate to see those, you know, bit rot and, you know, not not get any love. But the fact is that with the next release of Ubuntu is going to be another LTS. So there's going to be another five years of maintenance well, of I Upstart. I think we should be able to choose our poison. I don't know how hard it is on the technical side. Well, I mean, you know, to, you oh, know what I'm know. saying? I think it's pretty hard to do yeah, well, those out. Uh, yeah, well, the interesting thing about Upstart, like, uh, if you're on about, like, uh, Ubuntu, like, dry derivatives, so we're talking about, like, uh, Linux Mint and uh, Zoon and all these other ones. I mean, they ship with Upstart. But the thing is, if, like, uh, the default desktop environment is actually GNOME 3, um, has a parent because it's uh it's part of the dependencies, it does actually use system D. So upstart kicks right, in and right. then it starts up system D. Well it's not very efficient, but that's like so if you wanted if you want to use a different desktop environment that's not Unity and these all these other desktop environments are actually using um uh, um system D, um basically Ubuntu starts up uses upstart and then you yeah. need to use yeah. a parent yeah. yeah. Good point. Good point about the GNOME point too, because I think GNOME, like I think the official desktop of Debian is still GNOME, right? And 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 System D is becoming well, a dependency. GNOME is becoming dependent on System D, um, and that's only continuing, right? That's starting in three ten and not impossible to avoid now. But it, in starting in three twelve, it looks like it could be. Uh, literally, a dependency of GNOME three twelve could be System D. Yeah. yeah, well, if you use the PPA to install GNOME three point ten, it actually installs dependencies for System D. Hmm. Now, if I could just make a prediction, I think Debian, because they tend to go along with the standards, will probably eventually go with System. D. Yeah, that would be I, interesting to see. I'm not sure. I just a like lot of people are always going with Upstart just because they didn't have an option back when it was created. I'm going to do a System poll. D wasn't. So around yeah, yet. They didn't have a that choice. Is, Let's do a poll, and I'll, I'll embed it in the show notes too, so the people straw on the poll. download audience, yeah, I'll do a straw poll. Uh, uh, which uh, which way, let's uh, see, uh, Debian, let's see, Debian's choice, I'll call it Debian's choice, okay, and uh, it'll be, uh, there's two options, Upstart or SystemD, and I'll let everybody vote. Uh, I wanted to sort of pick up on something that Mollusk was talking about. This was sort of the point I was going to wrap up this topic, um, so then we'll read some email and then we'll run, but uh, I think, you know, it's unavoidable that not only does system D have multiple distro momentum now, uh, but Lenart and his, and, and Remy and other people involved are extremely passionate about it. And it is their main focus. It is, it is, it is, it is all they are working on in, in a grand scheme of things. And it's like, whereas upstart is a component of the Ubuntu distribution. It is a feature. It is an important feature. It is, but it is only an aspect of that distribution where system D is these guys' life. And they go out to every conference and they promote it. They answer questions. They make posts about it. They live and breathe it. They are continually evolving it. They do frequent releases. They they engage outside input and make changes based on that. Not always. Uh, sometimes they don't. But it is it is sort of like um, it's sort of like my what my argument has been against GNOME and Unity in a sense too is what Unity is awesome and it's a great feature and I, it's one of my favorite Linux desktops. But the reality is the GNOME projects and the KDE projects all they do are their desktops. That's all they do. That is their only, that is their only job where it's not just a, a, a feature or a package in their distribution. And when you have that kind of passion and momentum and focus and, and multi-distro and a, a quote-unquote industry buy-in on something, uh, it seems pretty risky to go against the tide. 
Yeah, I think, I think System D is uh, definitely the future. I think Upstart was a an easy answer early on, but um, just like everything else in in the Linux community over the years, um, you know, we we all make patches, we all make remedies, we all make uh, we we all make things to to make the short term better. But I think um, overall, System D is good for Linux. Um, I I really enjoy init scripts and and being able to make make specific scripts to what I need it to do. Right. But overall, I think that systemd is going to help a lot because it makes things a lot easier. And you know, we're still in early days here. We're yeah. still in early yeah. days. Yeah, totally. Now, yeah, it's funny because like, go ahead. I mean, I was uh, gonna say one thing I come across when I install like go for a ba- very basic Debian installation, or if I want to install Arch. Isn't one of those things when you're doing a very basic installation is during the installation you have the choice to set thing like things up like that where you could choose the init manager or whatever? Yeah, you can do yeah. that with Gentoo, but yep. Gentoo almost forces OpenRC on you. So I don't think it matters. All right. Well, yeah. So I guess, you know, at the end of the day, if we if we if we move forward and we look at where things are gonna take us, uh system D is is still it's not as fully mature as Upstart is. And I'll give you a, what I mean in that sense is um, in an Ubuntu box, if you really screw the pooch and you need to like reboot into a rescue mode, that that rescue mode you go into is is it, it's Upstart aware. It can it can look at your system, communicate to the Upstart system and pull out bits of information it needs to rescue your system. Right. Like that is a very nice, complete user end feature that works great for users and system admins and developers like it is a very handy feature and it is the it is the result of something that has multiple years of production where you build stuff around it system d is not there yet there's not tools that fully take advantage of the api there's not things that expose certain functionality like system d has the ability to fully log everything that happens on your system if it's an efi box it doesn't require it but if you have like an efi bios and it wants to talk to system d it can literally time how long it took for you to boot at the bio screen all the way up from the bootloader to the kernel to your desktop it can pull metrics and diagnose all of that like it is a full-end system right and that's really cool and fancy but there's nothing yet really fully built to expose any of that to the end user and so well, maybe well the thing is system md is widely used within the community it's used by pretty much every distro mm. there's only there's only two distros that don't use it i mean it's ubuntu based distros and chrome os saying so, ubuntu based distros doesn't account for much it accounts for a significant chunk of <laughs> all the people who happen to run that's linux true. That's it's a massive number of people. Yeah, yeah. I think and at I'm the end say, of the day, it might. Yeah, but Red Hat's worth a few billion. So if they think that um, ups, no, well, ups my dad's bigger than your using... dad. I don't, I don't think that. <laughs> I don't think that really makes a difference. No, there's a billion. There's a one point three billion. I arguments can only go so far. There's a one point three billion company. So it doesn't matter about the price. I mean, I think Popey makes a fair point, though, is that. Uh, yeah. we have to, it is hard sometimes to totally wrap our head around the fact that, uh, uh, it is a huge, it is, it is way bigger than I think any of us fully realize because I mean, at least my metrics tell me that. And, um, they tell me that Ubuntu still has more market share than like the other three distros next to it combined. So combined. I, yes. I, uh, I just wanted to point out that, you know, at the end of the day, especially with Debian considering this, I think it's really just going to come down to two choices. Either they're going to find a way to work out the CLA and go with Ubuntu's thing, or they're just going to go and go to their next choice down and just look at system D. At the end of the For, day, I still want init scripts. Okay. Now, yeah. my question <laughs> is, if they were to scripts. go with uh, S- system D, what are they going to do about, let's say, their variance based on the BSD or the herd kernels? Right, that's the problem. It, that's this, the problem. Is, this is what no one's really touching on. Everybody's attached. Everybody's going at this from an emotional point of view, and that's that's wrong. All this passionate nonsense aside, factually speaking, they want something established and stable. Yeah. Which one is that? That's 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 not. Upstart has just, a leg there because Upstart yeah, is deployed gonna, and it supports exactly. multiple kernels, and it also is adheres it? a little more closely to that overall Unix philosophy. Yep, exactly. And so that's the whole point of it: is that when it's you a horse vacuum, race. <laughs> when you vacuum pack all the emotional hot air out of this and really look at it logically for what Debian's goals are, not what your goals are, but what Debian's goals are, what you know as a project, I think that they're definitely 
definitely going to uh, go with what makes sense from a stability point of view. Now, five years down the road, they may completely 180 on that. But at this point, it will be it will not be system D for Debian. I well, promise and, you. And you also promise. have to you have to even you know you even understandably got to figure maybe there's a little uh, pressure indirectly or directly probably indirectly to have at least a, a very serious consideration as to how it affects Ubuntu since it is they are a exactly. huge you know uh, they're based on Ubuntu and that's just one that's just one quarter or even an eighth of the pie that's not even all of it but it's a big chunk of the pie now that being said personally on my own machines I do prefer system D I like what they're doing I like where they're going I think it's awesome yeah I do too I but like that it too. Being, but, yeah, but, but again, taking my own emotion out of it and looking at it logically, there's no question Debian's not going to go with System D. You think They're so? going to go with Upstart. You I know so? that for a fact. My, I'm, I, wow. I, I'm wrong on some things, but I'm right on others. And I, 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 my track record on the show has been reasonable. So I'm going to say I'm <laughs> excluding my uh, uh, monkey suit thing, but, <laughs> but, but that put well, aside. So right now the audience yeah. is voting in 82%, Matt, think it's going to go System Oh, yeah. No, they're, gonna, they're, they're, they're voting with their – Hearts, with their heart, step. Matt. With their heart. Right. Yeah. yeah. I don't have one. <laughs> I <laughs> so will, I win, right? I, uh, I will embed this into the show notes. So those of you on the podcast, if you want to uh, go vote, yeah. go to uh, episode twelve of the uh, of the uh, unplugged program and scroll down the show notes. We'll vote in there and we'll uh, cover it on the follow up. We'll see what happens. All right, Matt. Well, I thought maybe before we ran, we could yep. solve a problem for Jim. So uh, Jim wrote into the show right. and he's 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 hunting for a replacement for Ubuntu ten oh four. Yeah, 10.04. He says, I was wondering if you could give me some advice on choosing a distro to replace my Ubuntu 10.04 installation. Since it's no longer supported, I figured I should upgrade. However, I'm not a big fan of Unity. I wonder how he knows that. Uh, I've, uh, he says, because right. uh, he read it somewhere. Yeah. Someone did this <laughs> he says, I've been uh, fat, dumb, and very happy with Ubuntu 10.04. I, I love that he's just been hanging out forever on this old version. Uh, he says, it's for me the perfect distro. I am hooked on having a top panel. Uh, to which I add a ton of launchers. I love Nautilus. I like the long-term support from Canonical and a community support. I also like the wide range of software available for Ubuntu. Did I try? Okay. He said he tried Unity and I really don't like it. All right. So he tried it. Okay. That's all we say. That's all we ask. Uh, it does not increase my productivity. I am using a desktop, not a smartphone or a Mac Wattopy. Wow. I didn't read harsh, this far. I didn't read know, this far. Uh, maybe I need to give it more time. Uh, and this is unfair to Unity. After all, Unity is actually an impressive software, but why use it on a desktop? I have also tried Ubuntu 12.04 in fallback mode. However, a few things I use uh, a lot seemed broken. Mint 13 Mate seems like the best fit for me. My hesitation is that Mint installs with a lot of extra stuff I don't want or need. Anyway, I'll likely go with Mint 13 Mate unless you guys give me a good suggestion. Uh, he said, by the way, he left a Windows when Vista came out. Oh my, yeah. I Started with Firefox, switched that. to Thunderbird, Open Office, and then he made the jump to Linux after he'd made the transition to all that stuff. That, oh, that's, the, that's the recipe. That's how you do it, Jim. Good work, Jim. So you know what? Mint, Mint Mate is probably a pretty good idea. Yes. I wanted, I, that, that's where I would go. I'd say Mint Mate is fine. Even Cinnamon is a, another option. What do you think about XFCE? What do you think about um, – I would say probably Mate's going to be more his speed. XFCE is awesome, but it is different. So you know, while visually it has a lot of similarities, there are some core differences. So I think that Mate's probably going to be more what he's looking for coming from where he's coming from. Um, as far as the extra stuff that's installed – I mean, really, unless you have a really small hard drive, I don't think you care. Um, it's not like anything's running in the background. He was, he was a little problems. more worried about like uh, future security vulnerabilities. But as long as you eh. stick with the updates, what about – okay, let me throw this one at you. Just a curveball because we haven't talked about it much. Sure. There's that uh, – it's sort of been rebooted uh, months ago, the Ubuntu GNOME edition, right? And the thing is, is starting in GNOME 3.8, they have the classic mode. Or I don't think they call it that. But it okay. is a two-panel like GNOME 2.0-ish setup, but it's based on GTK 3.0. It takes advantage of the newer uh, GNOME applications and things like that. So it's it's one foot in the new stuff, and it's like one foot and maybe you're weighing into the old stuff. So it might, you know, that GNOME Ubuntu edition could be, but I think his instinct with Mint and Mate edition, like Matt yeah. said, is probably the way to go. I think it's the way to go. He's found it. He's got a he's got a butt groove in his chair, and he's yeah. really happy with that groove. <laughs> and and he's not necessarily wanting the latest and greatest. He's just yeah. kind of forced into an upgrade. So I think that's going where he's where he's going to be happiest. So uh, one last thing. Cheeseburg emailed into the show on the whole topic. He was one of the people that chimed in about uh, the state of Linux news. And then now he also joined us in the uh, IRC, so he reminded me today. He he was uh, traveling. I think he was in Japan. And he saw a, a good old-fashioned print magazine 
called Point Linux. Um, uh, and or he heard about it over there. I can't remember the details of it. He, I, 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 at least somebody emailed him about Point Linux. Anyways, Cheeseburger reminds me of Point Linux. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a distribution that aims to combine the power of Debian with the productivity of Mate or the GNOME 2 desktop, you know, the GNOME 2 desktop environment yeah. for it. Uh, so it is essentially, uh, it's Debian under the hood with Mate on top of it. And now the reason why I think Point Linux could be a good, one nice thing about it, Right. Is uh, what was he on Ubuntu ten uh, ten ten oh four ten oh four All right. Yeah. So obviously uh, Jim is not a man who likes to reinstall very often. And the problem with Mint is you got to reload to go to the next release every time. True. True. Whereas true, true, true. Point Linux being based on Debian, uh, you're going to get updates and you're just going to roll with he that just rolls for a long. That's time. a really good point. I like that because of his the fact that he likes a comfortable place to be. He has more control over those updates versus being having to go full full upgrade. Yeah, and that's I, a good, that's a good point. I haven't tried this one myself, but uh, both Cheeseburg and I. And we got an email about somebody who was traveling in Japan. I don't know if that was Cheeseburg who also saw it deployed there and thought it was awesome. Yeah. So there you have it. There you yeah. have it. I think it'd be worth uh, you know grabbing a pen drive and just uh, DD that sucker up in there and just see how that runs. You totally. Know? Totally. All right, Matt. Well, as uh, we uh, prepare to – whoa. Hi there. Hi. Hello. As hi. we prepare to wrap up, the music just like kicks in. It's like I guess it's playing <laughs> us out like we're on the Oscars here, Matt. Right, yeah. <laughs> Get your award and get off stage, clown. Uh, listen, uh, we'd love to have you join us live for Linux Unplugged. Uh, you can go over to jblive.tv. We're live at 2 p.m. Uh, Pacific. And, of course, go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar because the time zone change. That daylight savings thing is about to hit us. So prepare yourselves over at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. While you're visiting us live, you can also get info to join our mumble room so you can hang out and participate in the conversation. A big thanks to everybody who joined us live in the IRC and a big thanks to the folks in the mumble room. We'd love to see you live here next week, but you can also email us. Just hit the contact link at the top of the Jupiter Broadcasting website. Hey, Matt, I got an okay from the uh, lead dev of OwnCloud to join us on Sunday to talk about OwnCloud 6. Sweet. Yeah. Good stuff. I know. So I'll see you then. All right, buddy? All right. Sounds good. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. We'll see you right back here next week. 